Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. I wanted a career in which everything would matter. Because I'm motivated by something bigger than myself. So I joined the CIA. And now I help protect our families, our friends, and every fellow American. Here, my abilities contribute to our mission. Agency professionals have extraordinary integrity and exceptional talents. And every day, we do work that's incredibly important. Find out how everything you do in your career can impact our nation. Visit cia.gov careers to learn more and apply. And what's up, Gamecock Nation? Monday episode of GC Live. Wes Mitchell here with Chris Clark. Everybody take a deep breath. We get to talk about exciting things today. I said this on Twitter, Chris. Um, this job, I love my job every single day. Honestly, extremely lucky to be able to do what I love. You will never hear me complain. In fact, I hate when sports media people complain about their jobs because I, I, it makes me roll my eyes every single time. But full disclosure, always going to be honest with y'all, this job is infinitely more fun when y'all are having fun too. And Chris, I looked around williams Price Stadium on Saturday night, and that is the most fun I have seen you all, the fan base, having at that stadium in a long, long, long time, man. Um, some sometimes people just need to be rewarded, you know, for for their faith. And you know, dude, for for Shane Beamer, for every single kid in that locker room, for the fans who gutted it out in the cold on Saturday, um, you know, for the administration as well, man, for. For, ev- for everybody in any capacity, anywhere near this program, Saturday night just felt so needed. So, Carolina fans, in- enjoy-, enjoy it. Like, I- not the season's over. Not that Carolina has arrived by any means whatsoever. But in- enjoy this weekend. Enjoy this week, guys, because you've gutted it out for – a season that at times has not been pretty. Let's be honest. Um, but man, that that was that was good to see. That was fun to see. It's fun to talk about, and it's fun to see the fan base get a hold of uh, of that hope. Um, so, so Chris, to me, I mean, we're gonna break down. Honestly, we're gonna miss stuff because there's so much to take in and then talk about in this game. I don't know if we can get up to it all in an hour. But to me, it's got to be the first thing we have to talk about is just big picture. How, uh, like I said, man, sometimes people just need to be rewarded. Those kids have not had a lot to show for the hard work that they've put in all season long. Um, so just I, I'm happy for them, man. I'm, I'm happy for the players. Yeah, man, they they put in tons of work and, you know, to be able to get that result, certainly great for them. And and I'm with you on the fan base. I mean, we, um, you know, obviously I'd like to think that we have more interaction and discussion with our folks on GC Live and Gamecock Central than than most people in the media, which I, I count as a blessing. I think it's awesome that we get to do that. Yeah, there's a lot of negativity and I understand why this season. So, it's great for the fans, you know, to be able to have that result as well and kind of be able to share in it. You know, the kind of the two words that came to mind, I hadn't really thought of until we got on the show and you started talking. It was kind of like an exorcism, you know, in some ways on Saturday night. Like a, it was very cathartic, I think, for fans, you know, to be able to work that out because not only has this season been a struggle, right? Um, losses, the manner in which they lost the kind of 
thought of what this offense could be. Not that there are huge expectations, but <laughs> Travis, you killed me. But not that there was like huge expectations, but like, oh, well, the offense will be able to run the ball, you know, and then they haven't, and they do on Saturday, and they do it against Florida, which is obviously a, a great team to beat. Um, I just think there are so many different things that I'm sure we're going to dive into, but big picture, you know, outstanding for this team to be able to accomplish that. And here's what I said to open this morning's insider report. It's on GamecockCentral.com, by the way, if you want to check it out. It goes a lot more in-depth on the game. What a difference a week makes because, you know, you, you go from, I can, you know, still not favored going into the Florida game. And we were sitting here not that long ago, Wes, saying, this team right now, you couldn't favor in any game the rest of the year, not just the Florida game, Missouri, Auburn, Clemson, and we'll, we'll see, you know, how all that plays out. You go from that kind of a bleak outlook on the rest of the season based on what we've seen to if this team plays like they did on Saturday, you've got a chance to make some noise down the stretch. You, you've got a chance for bowl eligibility next week and then maybe even more. So, I think it just really took this season and could be. We we don't know yet, but it certainly has given them the ability to make this kind of a hinge point, a key moment, a key turning point, you know, in the 2021 football season. Because now there's juice to the season. There is even a little bit more recruiting juice even, you know, after that win. No doubt, man. Um, and, and as you guys know, this show is brought to you by our good buddy, Clint Hammond. It's presented by Clint Hammond every single day of the Mortgage Network. Clint is the branch manager of the Columbia Mortgage Network right over there by Dreher High School. Beautiful, still fairly new facility. Uh, you see it right there in MLS number 71597. Give Clint a shout, 803-576-4450. Uh, appreciate Clint, as always, being our presenting sponsor. If you're in the market for a new home, it's as simple as that. Clint's your guy. He'll walk you through every single part of the process. So give him a shout. Clint, a big Gamecock fan that I'm sure was grinning ear to ear with everybody else on Saturday night. Again, I don't even, I partially don't even know where to start. If you, if you, if you expected that to happen, you're a liar. If you expected that to happen, you're a literal liar. Um, maybe you thought Carolina. You know, maybe in your heart you thought Carolina could, like, squeak out a dub. I don't know if – I mean, when when was the last time? Has, has South Carolina ever been a 20-point home underdog and won a game by 23 points? Like, that – that not just Carolina. That does not happen. Like, you, you aren't a 20 – I think it was 20 and a half at one point was the biggest I saw it. And you win by 23. Like, that – to me, that – not that I'm a big gambler, but – to me, that never happens. So uh, we, we there were a few people that you know maybe predicted South Carolina to win. Uh, our intern Kendall Smith, uh, who does a fantastic job for us, she was the long Gamecock Central staffer to predict the win, and she said she dream she literally had a dream that South Carolina beat Florida this week and rolled with it. So shout shout out Kendall. Apparently, if she has a dream about something, um, it, it happens. But anyway. So out of nowhere, I think was why. Um, I mean, it would it would have been special anyway, but it makes it all the more special, Chris. I thought, uh, to me, the the play that just sort of put maybe put it away, as crazy as this is to say, um, was the Jabari Ellis scoop and score because. At the time, South Carolina had played really, really well. Mm -hmm. And they had moved the football. They had made some big plays. But I was sitting there. I was watching those field goals. Yeah. I'm sure y'all were as well. And you're doing the math in your head, too. uh, And you're saying, really needed at least one of those field goals to be a touchdown, right? And you're saying, man, this, this just feels like one of those games Florida, Florida will go into the half, regroup if they can get a stop to start the second half. If they go down to score, you know, 23-17 is right back to just being, you know, a very, very winnable game for Florida. 
you maybe even expect them to to win at that point still because of what you know about them and know about South Carolina. But that play right there to flip it from just being a 13-point game to being a madhouse in Williams-Price Stadium, people standing on people's shoulders at that point, going insane. Um, by the way, shout out to the graphic person for SEC Network for getting the scoop and score graphic up like that. Uh, impressive work. I noticed that when I was re-watching the game yesterday. But, man, to me, that was the one, not that Florida couldn't come back still at that point, but that was when I was like, this is South Carolina's night. This is happening, yeah. yeah it, it was, man. And, look, that was a an effort play. You know, it looked like I had the exact same thought, and, and it was, that was probably kind of universal. You know, I mean, you're sitting there. It's, <laughs> it did, I was going to bring that up, Daniel. R.J. Roderick. First of all, Brad Johnson, he about knocked, he about tripped up Jabari uh, on that play. RJ Roderick went down and smelling blood. He, he went and found him an offensive lineman who was kind of unsuspecting and just dropped him. He did. I noticed that on the play. But that was a huge play because, you know, it's 23 10. I had the exact same thought. You go, hey, Carolina's up. You know, if you're a Gamecock fan, you're certainly not complaining about that, but you're sitting there going 23-10. You can see Florida, hey, if they get two touchdowns, and all of a sudden they're up by a point. So, And Shane Beamer even mentioned it even after the game. Hey, I mean, he's super excited. He's fired up about how his team plays. He says, we had some field goals. We could have played better. And so you're sitting there thinking that. Florida obviously goes in there <laughs> with the mindset of, we're going to try to go score. What was there, 50 seconds left or something like that, Wes? A minute. Mm-hmm. So you're going to go down there and run your one-minute offense and, and try to score. Well, fortunately for South Carolina, they they made that choice instead of just kneeling on it. Um, Emory Floyd scrambles out in a great effort play by a high-effort player in Aaron Sterling. Jabari Ellis shows second time this year. I think I tweeted this out after the game. Jabari has the quickest reaction I've ever seen to a ball on the ground. The one in the Vandy game on the on the – last defensive play of the game, I mean, he just sort of like uh, – he just appeared on top of the ball in that game. I couldn't even come up with a word. Same thing here. Alert play. Huge play in that game. And I'm with you. When that happened, you go, all right. You know, if South Carolina can just not fall apart in the second half, then they've got this game in hand. Yeah, the uh, – is that a skill set? Or is that is that a skill, pick, picking up the fumble? So. Because it's kind of like um, in baseball, you don't think of a of tagging someone as being a skill. But then Javi Baez for the the Cubs, well, he was for the Cubs for for so long. He's like the best tagger mm-hmm. in in baseball. Like he just has a knack for getting it down faster. Because I, when that ball first hit the ground, I thought fall on it, and yeah. Jabari had other plans. Like he <laughs> yeah. and he took little chomp to the house, and then he took it <laughs> to the house and uh, yeah. name he named the ball. If y'all didn't see. Uh, little chomp, which is hilarious, but um, dude, defense got like I said, we I could literally sit here and talk about this entire football team today because there were so many freaking individual efforts, and a lot of you are already talking about y'all have commented on many of the things I wanted to hit, and we're we're definitely going to talk about Jason Brown, y'all. So don't worry, I, I want to go in depth on Jason Brown. We're going to get to JB. We're going to get to Jason Brown. Um, it's just that's going to be a a long conversation, I think, because there's a lot to say about him. But, dude, that that was sort of, uh, to me, like I said, that was when you knew. But um, the the fact is, I'm trying to go back and find a comment. Y'all, y'all hold tight here, because um, somebody said what I was thinking earlier, and I cannot find it. Um, but so, all right, so that that happens, right? Mm-hmm. And Florida, after that, says. We're we're gonna take it, we're gonna take it to the house, right? Like we're we're taking it to the locker room. Mm-hmm. So I would dare say, and sometimes sometimes when you say, ah, you know, this team may be reeling coming into this game, like they may, Florida may not mentally all be in this game. To me, that doesn't always play out like that. Like sometimes you're just convincing yourself, oh, this team doesn't care about this game, and they come in and they they beat the brakes off of you anyway. Um, South Carolina forced Florida into submission. Like, I truly believe that. Um, 
Have you ever seen a team that is losing at, like Florida was at halftime and losing like Florida was late in the game literally go back to Gainesville with six timeouts in their pocket? They they did not burn a single time. When South, Carolina, wow. when South Carolina was burning the clock at the end of the game, now it was over, obviously. Like, you're not going to score, you know, you're not going to score. It would have been three times with, with the, you know, two two-point conversions. But still, you, you know, you play it out, right? South Carolina's driving at the end of the game just milking the clock. Florida never burned a timeout. And at the end of the half, when they got the ball back after the scoop and score, they had assuming the graphic was correct, and I, I'm pretty sure I don't like I don't remember Florida taking a timeout. Um, they they went home with six timeouts in their pocket. Um, to me, South so South Carolina there there was a couple of runs early on when Z White. He has a really good knack of making these like very impressive like six and seven yard runs where he just sort of makes a three yard run into a seven yard run. Dude, Eric Douglas is sitting there like throw like throwing his hands up after after a play. Uh, Tyshawn Wanamaker is running down the field to celebrate with Z White on the long Z White run, which was a one of the best runs I've seen at South Carolina in a long time. Uh, Jason Brown is. 60 yards from where he started on the play, looking for somebody to hit. So, to me, South Carolina looked like – and this, again, two weeks ago, they had the worst, one of the worst offensive performances I have ever seen a South Carolina team have. Yeah. And on Saturday night, they, they looked like they were having the time of their life. Florida looked like they had an appointment – like basically they had a doctor's appointment that they had to go to because they were told they had to go to and South Carolina looked like there was nowhere in the universe that they would rather be. Yes. Um, yep. It was party time for the Gamecocks. So I, let, let's say this, man, that like the effort, the extra effort was there. Florida's linemen were kind of like, eh, I, you know, I'm, I'm willing to dance with the defensive lineman a little bit, but I'm not necessarily getting to the next level. So then Damani Staley, um, you know, Brad Johnson, the, the safeties coming up making plays, they were able to roam free. On the other side, I felt like Carolina's linemen for the first time this year were getting to the next level. They were, they were sort of completing their double team and then getting to that next guy, getting to the linebacker, getting to the safety. Rashawn Lee blocked the Florida safety uh, 10 yards downfield on, on one of these plays. So to me – it, we're gonna if we're gonna sit here and criticize, criticize, criticize the offense, which we have, and let's be honest, I don't, I don't think, I don't think it was wrong for, for those eight games. Then we also have to go back and give credit where it's due. And uh, Chris, I don't know where among the diatribe I just went on that you want to respond to, but the, the offense as a whole, uh, the coaches included. The offensive line responded. The running backs had a little extra juice. Kevin Harris looked healthy. Z White had a great game. Um, something you hit on the tight ends blocked incredibly well. The receivers blocked well on the outside too. Um, complete, like complete performance. I mean, yeah, I could cut in in any number of places there. You, you covered a bunch of different stuff, and still, I still feel like we're scratching the surface on on what happened and. Uh, both in the game and kind of the storylines coming out. By the way, the, the comments, y'all bringing it in the Primal Gourmet chat line. Some funny comments, some insightful comments, good stuff. So I have several follow-ups on that. Number one, hitting on the effort. So Florida coming into this game, you're exactly right. You, you very much got the impression from the jump that this wasn't a super motivated team to be there. South Carolina played harder throughout the game. You look at the way they blocked. On the perimeter, Cam Smith played his tail off, you know, trying to, you know, coming up on on little short passes. Even when the play was kind of wrapped up behind the line, you see Cam Smith darting in there, helping out. The effort was much more there. That said, even with all the problems that Florida had in the game, you know, coming into this game, 
four and four instead of being, you know, whatever they thought they would be, you know, eight and oh, six and two, whatever they thought they'd be. Came into the game four and four, obviously disappointing year, problems, flu, whatever it may have been. South Carolina still made Florida quit by the end of that game. Whatever Florida's effort level was at the beginning of the game, it was down here at the end. And, and that's all about South Carolina. Secondly, kind of related to that, you know, we've seen South Carolina play teams this year that on paper it's a lot better than a touchdown or a field goal or 10 points better than, and they've struggled. So the point is this Florida team, despite their problems, they still have a lot of talent. This is still a team that can go out there and put points up. You know, it's still a team that has talent on defense. And South Carolina, for the first time this season, was able to take advantage. So it's really about all those things. But I think you give you give South Carolina a ton of credit from the staff to the players with their approach. Another point, you, you know, Wes, you're talking about their effort and how South Carolina looked like they wanted to be there. I think that's a reflection of the job that Shane Beamer's doing from a culture standpoint. When this team was losing, predictably, there was some people, some, maybe a very small number in the fan base, why is he so positive? Why is he not yelling at the refs? Why is he not yelling at the players? Is he not holding them accountable? And some of those same people, I feel like, Wes, now I hope I'm not building like this straw man argument, but those are some of the same people who are saying, why were things so negative or so serious in the Will Muschamp era? Right? Because things weren't happy then. And it's not happy when you're losing, but the point is that Shane Beamer has installed some positivity in a team that struggled on the field. Last year, they won two games. The year before that, they won four. The year before that, they won six, some of these guys. Um, Some of these guys are new, young players that are having to jump in and play roles. Lots of these guys needed, just, just needed a change in general. And some of them needed to hear positive messages. And I think even when they were losing, Tennessee, A&M, you still saw effort from this team. And so you had two teams that came in here four and four. One of them looked like they wanted to be there and their play reflected that. The other one didn't. That's a reflection from top down of the coaching staff. And they had fun. They kept playing. They played hard. And it did finally click and it finally hit. I think schematically, just a number of things hit. Just a number. It was kind of the perfect storm in a good way, where schematically we saw some, either some new stuff or some stuff that has been run but has not been emphasized as much. The Trey Jones package, um, the little wrinkle on the outside zone with Nick Muse coming in motion. The offensive line, on top of those things, the offensive line had their best game. The running backs had their best games. Marshawn Lloyd doesn't have a knee brace on anymore. Took that off during the bye week. He looked like himself. Kevin Harris looked like himself. Zaquandre White runs like his feet, hair, and rear end were all on fire in the game, and he was trying to get away from it. You know, so – and then the defense, after giving up some early plays, played extremely hard and and I think really won those battles up front. So all those things at once hit, and so you walked away from this game going, that is what we thought this offense could be. Then you add in Jason Brown, who obviously gave them a huge spark. No doubt, man. By the way, real quick, I promised Chris that I would give away some Corey Smith tickets on the show today. Uh, so I got them. I did. They they came through. Um, if you are a if you're a Corey, I only want to get I want to give them away to somebody who's going to like enjoy it. If you're my age or Chris's age, you probably at some point in college at least heard of a Corey Smith concert going on. So here's what we're going to do. First of all, I'm going to give them away today. So it's got to be somebody on the live stream. You have to subscribe to the show. So it's completely free. Go on the YouTube. You got to go on YouTube. Go on YouTube. Hit subscribe. Like today's show. Hit the like button. And then on YouTube, comment with either an emoji or a word describing how you felt on Saturday. And somebody will get these two free field level VIP tickets to Corey Smith which is on the 19th of this month at Segra Park. Um, back to the game. To your point, man, uh, the, the, to me, the offensive changes were not like wholesale. You know, they didn't reinvent the offense. 
but there there were enough tweaks that it made a difference. And I, I think there were I think there were sort of things that were done to make Jason Brown more comfortable. Now, if you if you ask the staff, they'd probably say, um, yeah, it's pretty much the same offense uh, in a media setting. That said, how much shotgun was there Saturday compared to under center? I remember, so the very first play of the game was under center, the flea flicker. I think there was maybe one other play that was under center. For, for the most part, they they went shotgun. Even the, the Trey Jones package that we're talking about with the I formation was um it was it was it was kind of interesting. They they set up the I formation sort of offset, but still in shotgun. And I, I think that's because Jason Brown was so used to um playing in a shotgun offense, you know, before. So I, I'll give them credit. They tweaked things. It seemed to me, Chris, like if for most of the season, you know, they, they've said they're they've been primarily a zone running team. If let's say for most of the season it's been two thirds zone runs, one third power, like gap scheme, you know, any type of movement with an offensive lineman pulling. To me, it and looking at PFF and they they try to do a good job of sort of mapping out which type of run scheme is called as well. It was kind of reversed. Like you were still running some zone. You know, they still had some success with some zone runs. But to say that it was exactly the same as far as, like, the the splits uh, would not be true either. They certainly – it was more like two-thirds. You know, Rashawn Lee, uh, it seemed like he was leading up in there all game long uh, and did a fantastic job. But the counterplay was fantastic to South Carolina. That's been an issue for Florida all season long. And – to me, I think it opened up some of the zone runs a little bit more that they were having the success with the power runs as well. So it, it wasn't like they've been only zone before. It wasn't like they were only power on Saturday. But the the splits, the percentages were swapped um, based on my view and a, a glance at the PFF numbers. Sorry, Wes, my computer froze momentarily there. Yeah, so, I mean, we we saw – look, we saw some of the same types of runs. We saw some of the duo stuff. We saw some of the inside zone, the outside zone. Like you said, more of an emphasis on power, counter. And, look, that was a thing where, like, you look back at last season, it was more gap scheme stuff. A lot of that stuff was what Kevin Harris was putting up his 1,000-yard season with. And it seemed to play to this O-line strength, again, for the five starters back. So there was a wonder of why not run more of that. Now, I don't – we're not in there in the meeting room and as far as figuring out why, right? And, and there's arguments for zone runs, against zone runs. You do need to mix it up. And what we saw is this team did all of it better on Saturday. But in particular, you look at some of the – the power, the counter, the gap scheme runs, they did have a lot more success with them. SEC StatCat had some really good stuff I saw over the weekend on Twitter that he put up about the game too, so maybe we can bring some of that in as well, Wes, on some of the uh, the power, the counter runs. Uh, but they did a really good job with it. I think it was just a thing that they just they blocked everything better. It was hat on a hat, offensive linemen, whether they were pulling around, or getting up to the second level on some of the zone or duo stuff, they did a lot better job. And I thought South Carolina's backs individually, Wes, also had their best game. There were some times where the holes, to be quite honest, on some of the zone stuff, the holes were kind of similar to some of what we've seen at times. The difference was Z-Wide or Harris or Marshawn Lloyd, they were able to kind of find a little gap and squirt through, you know, especially Z-Wide with some of his effort runs. Um, then they were able to to run some other stuff and were able to get their guys out in some green grass around the edge, the Marshawn Lloyd run, for instance, in that game. So um, th- there were some really good ones. I thought they just did everything in the run game a lot better, which obviously helped open things up in all facets of, of the offense. Well, I think there there's something to be said for A, the backs being healthy, and B – for there to the fact there was some room to run on the other plays, I think once the guys were in a rhythm, 
and had, I don't know what the word is, maybe some momentum, a little extra juice, shoot, maybe a little extra adrenaline. Um, I don't know. Maybe, maybe it, it felt like they were feeding off each other. The offensive line was giving them more room. I know one of the SEC stat cap um, stats was that South Carolina had its most um, yards per carry um, Saturday before the back gets touched, um, which is a usually a pretty good sign your line is creating some some room for your running backs. But I think because the running backs were able to sort of get lathered up, for, for lack of a way to say it, it, they were feeding off that. So then when there was a play that maybe would have been completely bottled up, otherwise, that the guys were able to get through. Um, let, let's, talk, let's talk about the backs, man. I, I feel like if you'd have asked me each week, who's the best running back on this football team? I, I maybe would have given you a different answer, you know, every, every single week. And I, to me, I, and I, I know – like Juju, like Juju McDowell is going to be a great football team for this program, or a great football player for this team for this program. Um, you know, he he brought some much needed juice early in the season. Um, helped win the ECU game. Is actually really good on kickoff returns. He's going to break one at some point. That's a, just a matter of time. It's been he's been so close to breaking a touchdown several times. All that said. Um, I don't know, man. Z, I, and I know each we're not in practice, and Z White was banged up, and um, you know there was there was that stretch where Zaquandre got moved down to the bottom of, of the bunch. And, and I know that Marshawn Lloyd's a five star prospect, and I know what Kevin Harris did uh, last year. Z White's as good as any of them, and it, he he may right now be the best running back on this team, and. To me, there's a little something extra when that dude is on the field. And I sort of just wondered, you know, I was like, well, because his stat, he's been the leading rusher all season long, but it's been a lot of it was racked up against Eastern Illinois. So I was like, you know, we're not seeing what he would be doing against these much better teams South Carolina has played. But watching him break tackles against Florida on Saturday, um, watching the energy he continues to bring. They after the touchdown drive where he had he had the long run and then he had a, a very tough run right after that. And then he was the decoy basically or the read uh option for the handoff on the juju keeper. They I don't know if you saw this Chris. They literally had to drag because he he's on one of the kickoff coverage teams too. They dra- They literally like pulled him off the field because he he ran back out there, and after rushing for eighty yards on the drive, was going to run down there and cover the kick as well. And they they were like, "Dude, come! Like we're giving you a breather." Yeah, but that's Z White for you. I uh, I don't I don't know, man. Like part like honestly, I I let myself talk. I talked myself into the fact that. Okay, this kid's really good, but you know, is he elite? Um, you know, or is he great? Ba- based on what we've we're seeing right now, I I think he's this team's starter. Me personally, at, at running back, and I think a healthy Kevin Harris, in turn, fed off of White having so much success as well. Well, I think they all look like themselves. Like we the Kevin Harris, you know, looking like Kevin, like it's not just this idea of what he could be. We've seen it. We've seen Kevin Harris at his best. And that is deceptive speed, physical runner. You know, he has some runs that he really excels at, but he's going to bring it, you know, in terms of dishing out punishment. And he looked like himself. Remember, I mean, he did not come into the season fully healthy. He missed game one. He kind of had to reintegrate slowly. The offense has not been clicking. It's not been good. So everyone's touches, whether in quantity or quality, have been affected by that. Well, now all of a sudden they're all getting some touches. Things are clicking offensively. The O-line's playing good, playing well. The scheme is there, giving them a chance, giving them an opportunity. The before contact stat that you mentioned, Wes, when you have that and you've got good backs, they're going to put up some numbers. And so 
Harris looked like himself. White had his best game. He's shown some of those things already, but you know, he he had probably his, his best game. I think he looked really, really good just running with something extra. I think a lot of people have been using that word. Um, he just looks looks angry, looks motivated, whatever. I mean, Z White's got that and, and he played like it. And then I mean I go, I go back to Marshawn Lloyd, not a ton of carries, but he finally bro- broke a longer run. And when he got the ball in open space, you go, yeah, that's that's the guy right there that we thought Marshawn Lloyd would be. He just – I think he needed time to feel like himself. I do think getting that knee brace off, Wes, I think helps. He's in a good physical and mental place now. And then he had an opportunity to where he wasn't getting hit as soon as he touched the football. You know, that helps. <laughs> you need A guy like Marshawn Lloyd needs a little bit of space to operate, and he can take that – that inch of space and get some yards based off of it. So, and then Juju McDowell, I mean, they, they he was a little bit more of a, didn't see as much time, but thought it was re- a really smart idea to give him that package down at the goal line because he's so adept at kind of sneaking in there. That was, I thought a smart call to put him down there in the goal line. Um, and uh, Craig, Craig here saying Lloyd wanted that touchdown at the end. He he put a nasty little move on that play just to give himself a chance. That that was like sort of like nobody will talk about that play. Like it wasn't a huge play in the game, but that was like low key one of the like I was like okay that was that was a move. Um, sort sort of like they were talking about earlier that something people won't won't even remember. But rewatching the game, watching RJ Roderick smash the the Florida big man going into the end zone. Dude, I sat there, I rewatched that like more times than I want to admit because I just I was la- I was laughing so bad at cuz RJ was out to 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 nail somebody. Um and he did. So there are a few more things I want to get to Chris um as we try to unpack this thing. Um other than the Jabari play, which again I said was like sort of that—that that to me was when I was like, okay, they're going to win this thing. Uh, there were a couple of second half uh, plays that you would sort of that also fall in that category where it was just like almost like the exclamation points on the game. Um, the Cam Smith interception, great body control, the way he spun himself around while in the air, very very impressive. Um, the I, I want to say that the Darius Rush interception, or excuse me, the Darius Rush sack came after a. Um, I believe that was somewhat close to a South Carolina punt, and Florida Florida had scored on a previous drive. Like Florida had had shown a little bit of life on offense, and they got the ball back, and Clayton White just kept attacking. There was never a thought of I'm going to sit back in some prevent and, and just let this thing play out. I loved how he kept attacking. Um, my my favorite, one of my favorite calls of the game, though, was, and maybe this was an easy call, I don't know, but after, so it seems like when coaches settle in to like, oh, we're going for it on fourth down today, they keep going for it. And if they settle in to like, oh, we're going to kick field goals, they sort of, well, we kicked it last time. We got to kick it this time. The game was when it was 33 to 10 in the second half. And South Carolina had been running the football well. And they got, but they got stopped again on the third down. And it was about fourth. And the graphic said fourth and one. It looked to me like it's more like fourth and two, fourth and one and a half. And y'all know the play I'm talking about going into the student section. And Beamer basically said, I'm I'm done kicking field goals. You could have kicked the field goal there and gone up 26, and that would have been fine. I I love the fact that I, I thought that was a a veteran decision from a young head coach. Maybe that's an easy call. I don't know. But I like the fact that it smelt it seemed like he smelled blood in the water. And he knew if South Carolina scores a touchdown on that drive, that it's night-night, that that's game over. Yeah. And South Carolina, I believe, went back to their big package there with Trey Jones. I don't remember the exact call. Z White 
Powers in there for the first down. Very next play, they run the little swing pass to Jaheim Bell. Um, beautifully blocked by EJ Jenkins and Josh Van on the exterior, on the perimeter. And Jaheim made that guy miss like, like he was playing flag football with his friends or something. Like, made it look so easy. But um, that, that to me, like, I was – that was when the game was truly over. Like that was the exclamation point on this night for me. But I just I loved the killer instinct there. You could have made it twenty six. That would have been fine. Carolina still wins the game. But to me, that was like having a great feel for the fact that you could just bury this team at this point. That that was a huge play, and to go down there and and, and score that touchdown was obviously significant. It showed confidence, and you know I think. Um, I don't, I don't want to say it's an easy call either, Wes, because you could very well kick the field goal there, but you did have a sample size in the game of, okay, here's what we've done in the run game. This 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 particular game, we can get this done. You go back a little earlier, Wes, to Damani Staley's fourth down stop. I mean, it was a great play, you know, getting into the backfield there. That was obviously a significant play in the game. Um, something else I wanted to hit on is unrelated, but I, I keep forgetting and I don't want to forget it before we get out of here. You hit on it briefly earlier that the play of the tight ends, Nick Muse, Trey Kenyon, they played a lot more than Bell in this game. Bell had the touchdown, obviously. He made the most of his opportunities there. But the two bigger tight ends played more in this game, and that is because uh, Muse always plays a lot, but Kenyon, Trey Kenyon played. I think 30-something snaps. They used a lot of two tight end sets, and um, those tight ends were really critical guys in the run game. Trey Kenyon, Wes, was, according to PFF, the highest-graded run blocker on the entire team. And that, I'm not not just tight ends, offensive linemen, too. He had the highest run block grade on the team, according to PFF, Um had a super performance. This this guy's really come on. You know, he's not going to go out there and catch 10 balls a game. He does – he did get his first career touchdown against A&M late in that game. He has, I think, four catches on the season. He had a nice catch on a super play from Jason, Jason Brown earlier in the game too. Wes, we saw this guy in camp over the summer um, when he was committed to South Carolina, the 2019 class, and walked away very impressed with him as a pass catcher. But he's really grown as a blocker. Trey Kenyon, I mean, he he did not do much of anything early in his tenure at South Carolina. And under this new staff, he's kind of had a, a revitalization and is starting to realize his potential. So, you know, he's a big, he's a 6'4, 245 pound kid who's got some athleticism and some speed. He's a willing blocker. And and that athleticism with his with his kind of want to um and his kind of just you can tell he's having fun, you know, out there. He's really been an important piece for this offense lately. I I think Trey Kenyon is for for what his role is, like one of the best reserve players on this team. As far as if you dude, he consistently if y'all care about the PFF numbers, he's consistently been one of the best graded guys each game. He just hasn't had enough snaps to be like to like be counted as one of the best players on the team because he it has been a very specific role this year. But you know, he he was on the he was on the field early Saturday. And you could tell that was a point of emphasis to get a guy out there who could uh, help a little bit more in you know in the run blocking game. And but that that's the thing, man. That's that's his role, but he can catch it when you throw it to him too. So we we may be watching the start of something. This this kid, I mean, next year there's gonna be a lot more playing time available at tight end. So tw- twelve on defense has made himself um, well known this year. Twelve on offense, like get buy the Trey Kenyon stock early. Buy the Trey stock now because this kid I, I think is gonna be a, a a big part of this program moving forward. And, and kudos to him for for taking that role and just uh, living in it, you know, and, and like not being upset that he's not playing more and just taking advantage of, uh, of when he's able to do that. Um, dude, speak, speaking of uh, the other 12 foster, um, you know, Florida, Florida first, they were able to hit some plays downfield, 
to start the game. First of all, you and I talked about this uh, off air. I thought I, – I feel like Dan Mullen in Florida had no respect for South Carolina coming into this game. Like their game plan – let's let's look at Kentucky's game plan coming in where they said we're going to run the ball down your throat and we're going to prove to you very early on that we're going to control this game. And then let's look at Florida's game plan. And they're a great running football team coming in statistically. They throw 10 straight passes to start the game. So now maybe one or two is an RPO that ended up being a throw, but still, a lot of them were, were straight throws. You throw 10 straight passes to start the game when you know what South Carolina's weakness has been defensively. Yeah, they hit a couple of them down the field. That's fine. But, I, dude, I noticed South Carolina was they, – they were saying, we're going to stop the run. And we don't care if we give up 500 yards passing over the top. Because, dude, yeah. I looked they, – they've stacked the box against other teams. But I've, I haven't seen them be as aggressive with their linebackers as far as pressing the line of scrimmage. Um, green dogging, which means you blitz – if the running back is is back in pass pro, you just go ahead. That becomes a blitz for the linebacker. Um, green dogging all the time. Um, even the free safety, Jalen Foster, you look at a lot of their calls when he's in the middle of the field. Um, if you look pre-snap, he's got about 10, 11. It depends on the call, I'm sure. But he's a good 10, 11, 12 yards on a lot of their calls uh, away from the line of scrimmage, sometimes even more depending on down and distance. But early on, he's like the middle middle of the field safety. He's starting to play at like eight, nine yards from the line of scrimmage. So not they weren't just stacking the box from like a traditional sense, like you have a safety in the box. It was it was even more than that, in my opinion, just looking at their alignment. They were saying, we are going to stop the run. And to their to me, Florida played kind of right into it. They said, oh, we're going to throw the football over their heads. But it established a a mindset on the defense early on that I, I, I don't think left the field the entire game. I think the defense played with confidence. They, to their credit, uh, just shook off a, a couple of deep balls. And the defensive line kept getting pressure on their quarterback. Um, they really did. I saw mate. I saw they did spy him. I guess a, a time or two on a third and long situation. For the most part, they didn't commit a man into just a true spy. They just trusted that their defensive line could rush while staying in their lanes. And um, Emory Jones really was not a factor um, as a runner in this football game. Yeah, he wasn't. And one of the one of the times he did take off, South Carolina was able to force a fumble. You know, so I think the defensive line did a really good job with rush lanes and just being able to affect him. Emory Jones, I mean, give him credit. He did make some nice throws downfield, caught South Carolina in man coverage against corners a few times in the game. Um, Florida had a couple drops, you know, also in the game on some shorter passes that, you know, could have maybe changed the equation in some regard. Uh, but they hung in there, played well, shook it off, like you said. And they were able to, you know, Florida did not make it a great effort to run the ball. And they, but when they did, South Carolina, I think, did a really nice job. We talked about uh, going into this game, Wes, that kind of outside zone play. Remember that Sherrod Golightly said that, that Florida would be running. South Carolina had some struggles against Troy, actually, with it. I, I specifically remember during the game a couple or a few times that Florida ran it, and South Carolina played it really, really well. So probably something that they repped a lot in practice. I thought it was the defense's, you know, best performance of the year, you know, all factors considered with just how they schemed things up and how they played and how they shook off the, the few big plays that Florida did make. Yeah, the uh, to just extend out those outside runs and force them to the sideline, there were several times. I mean, dude, you had Enig Barre chasing down uh, plays from sideline to sideline that uh, – you know, Florida had some good calls, I thought, on offense that South Carolina snuffed out. They had that little – early on in the game, they rolled um, Jones to the left and then had him spin back and throw that receiver screen. And they, they left Inigbari unblocked, thinking he'd run himself out of the play. He diagnosed that. Um, dude, I've watched – it seems like I've watched the Dan Mullen offense 
I'll go back to the Urban Meyer days um, when they had Percy Harvin hit South Carolina with that that little um, end around reverse play, and Jalen Foster from his free safety spot just came flying out of nowhere and, and chopped that thing down for about two yards. Um, that's a play they've relied on in their history to, to go for a big gain. Nothing doing there. Um, South Carolina played within themselves too. Didn't I think they had one penalty that I remember a false start that was um, I think fairly late in the game anyway. Um, Florida on the other hand played sloppy again as far as penalties go. Kept giving South Carolina extra yardage on face masks and stuff like that. Uh, dead ball penalty I think to after a kickoff. Um, they I don't know man. They it, it's good. We, we've sort of just, with the offense as bad as it's been this year, we've had to repeat ourselves a lot talking about the offense. Now I feel like we're repeating ourselves today in that pretty much everything came up um, aces for South Carolina in about every category you can look at. And uh, we're, we're, gonna, we're about to run out of room. we got to talk specifically about Jason Brown. Um, Chris, the so the thing with JB – and I saw somebody, some people have, have gone, you know, all in on the JB thing. Some people have pointed out that statistically, you know, it, it, he didn't make up the bulk of South Carolina's yardage. Um, but to me, dude, the, the fact is the extra dimension this guy gave you, the throws he made, the plays he made, uh, that little spinoff where he launched the ball down the field to Josh Van, um, the ability to step up in the pocket, the ability to step up in the pocket and then roll right without going over the line of scrimmage and finding Josh Van, keeping your eyes downfield. Um, we said coming in that this kid had a gunslinger's mindset, that he was a gamer. But we also said, uh, you know, he has to cut down on – Negative plays. He can't let his gunslinger mindset mean he puts the ball in danger. He walked that line pretty darn well, man. Um, made some big plays. To me, dude, stay staying on the field, keeping your defense on the sideline, like just – you could probably circle eight big plays he made. And they're, they're so – that's so different than that play – then that drive being a three and out and you give the team like that, that gives that now that gives you a chance for three more sets of plays, right? You know, like you get three, get three plays for every set of downs. So that gives you three more opportunities to move the ball around three more opportunities to lean on them in the running game, three more opportunities to get the ball to your running backs. So I, I think it, it, it can't be, Forget the stats, forget the overall numbers, forget any of that stuff. You can't uh, you can't overstate how important making some of those big plays were. And then, dude, his ability to step up in the pocket, like not just extend plays. There's a lot of athletic quarterbacks who can extend plays where they're kind of just running around. He was ex- he extended some plays the way you see like a pass first quarterback do in that he was staying within his technique he wasn't looking at all the movement around him and then he was getting the ball out quick that's kind of an innate thing um that I don't think I anticipated that part of his game I think we anticipated some of the other stuff I didn't anticipate that he would be so good at just stepping up in the pocket with guys around him and delivering the football Major kudos to him, man. The moment was not too big for him. Um, the guys responded to him, and he he was exactly what South Carolina needed on Saturday night. Yeah, definitely gave him a spark. And I think that the big key we, – we saw some things that I think we anticipated, but on an even greater level. You know, the ability to extend plays, the knack. That's something we talked about a lot, Wes, going into the game, is how we have heard – in practice settings even, that he's shown a knack for kind of navigating the pocket making some off-rhythm plays. And even Shane Beamer in his post-game comments alluded to some of We thought he'd play well. Didn't really know that he played that well. 
And look, this is a guy with college experience, and he's gotten a little ex- South Carolina experience, but he's never been given a full game. Hey, go play this game. Go help lead us to a win. Um, and you're right. The moment wasn't too big. He was poised, showed moxie, showed really good leadership, um, which he has those kind of innate traits. But he he took the positive things that we thought he could bring to the field, and he showed those times 10. Then he didn't put the ball in danger, uh, whether it's decisions he made running the football. Um, I think there was only one throw where I walked away going, that was a little bit questionable. It was a throw to the sideline that was a little iffy, um, but he did a really great job with that stuff. The biggest thing, going back to the stats, the point I'd make on that, there are a lot of plays that he made that ended up being positive in the statistical column, but here's what, what won't show up. A lot of those plays, even if he had just thrown the ball away, or thrown an incomplete pass, those were the types of plays that we've seen so many times this season go for a really bad play, an interception, a sack, a big loss, right? We've seen those this season. So he was able to take some of those situations and not only avoid a sack or a negative play, but then turn it into a positive. Uh, The Trey Kenyon pass I mentioned earlier, you were talking about him stepping up in the pocket. That was one, just some subtle steps up in the pocket. Another one, the Van touchdown pass where Van was completely wide open. Florida sends a double blitz off the right side. Sequandre White picks up the inside guy. So now you have a free rusher around your side. He just steps up, runs, doesn't pass the line of scrimmage, eyes downfield, finds Van. Uh, The spin out play and the throw downfield to Josh Van. I mean, uh, the play that Shane Beamer talked about where he took the busted handoff and he runs it on on the correct side. I mean, all those were plays that, A, could have been negative plays, B, he avoided the negative play, and then C, turned it into a positive or even a very positive, you know, scoring play. So that's kind of what Carolina's been missing. We've talked so much about that low margin of error. I still think they'll have that in every game. But Jason Brown can be a margin eraser for you. Um, because he can make you right on some things when they don't go so well. And now we'll see if he can follow that up against Missouri because it is a excellent opportunity for this football team. And we're, we'll be getting into that all week long. But it creates an excellent opportunity because South Carolina took care of business um, this week against Florida. And that's that's the – with all quarterbacks, you you go out and do it the first time, and now we all find out, can you build off of it? But, man, to me, that's – we'll talk about that later in the week. Today, to me, is about Jason Brown stepping up, doing what was needed. And, you know, let, let's – so I, it was kind of funny, man. I got to share this. I I won't say the guy's name because I'm pretty sure I actually know who he was. But there there was a guy in my section at the game near me. Um, most of you know I, I don't sit in the press box during the games. I like to just go, like, enjoy the atmosphere and stuff. And when when South Carolina's offense was was humming there at the beginning, and they scored what first five drives of the game, I think it said it was the first time since 2013 that that's happened. Um, this guy near me just like he just had a moment, and it was like a moment of it was like joy, but also like disbelief. But he uh, he's just like, where has this been for eight? Beep, beep, beep. Like, we're going to keep our show not on the explicit version. Um, you know what? In weeks, what? how have I watched this off? Like, just, I mean, going going off, right? And um, I was like, man, we're going to get that question on Gamecock Central a lot. Mm-hmm. Why, why was he not starting before? And, you know, I, I will say this, Chris. I mean, could – could there have been a case for, you know, in the last few weeks getting Jason Brown in there a little bit earlier? Could you, like, make that case? And I would I would buy it, yes. Um, but also, I don't, I don't think we should pretend that players are, like, static in that they don't get better, they don't improve, they don't put themselves in. To me, that's, that's almost a – that's almost a shot at, at Jason Brown and his ability to work hard and continue to progress as a player. Um, this, in my opinion, is a combination of, one, this kid is a gamer. He does tend to 
His instincts take over when the lights come on. But by everything we've been told, he's kind of a different player now than he was certainly in the spring. Um, and when he wasn't, you know, in preseason ball, this is a completely different offensive scheme than he was running at uh, St. Francis. And this is a, this offense puts a ton on the quarterback. But to me, he, he, he looks more comfortable. He looks comfortable out there. And, uh, and his progress, his hard work has paid off. But I know there's some people who roll their eyes and say, well, he should have been the starter from the very, very beginning. Um, but I did feel like it was important, based on what we've been told, Chris, um, to point that out uh, about his progress as a player. Yeah, there has been a progression. He's gotten better. And um, it can go the other way, too, Wes. I mean, you remember – uh, in the spring game, and, and I'm not saying this in a negative way, but in the spring game, you know, around exiting the spring, Colton Gothier was like the firm, firm number two, and that shifted. So things can change based on a variety of factors. And so a lot of people, here's what I kind of said about it. If you watch the spring game and you came away saying Jason Brown should be the starter because of his spring game production, that's not a great argument for me, right? Because you, you look at the circumstances and, you know, when he threw the touchdowns and the personnel and, and those things. If you looked at the physical traits and said that he should be the guy at some point because of the physical traits, I'm more on board with that. He's all these things that we're discussing that he has the knack in the pocket and out of the pocket, the arm strength the off-platform throws, the fact that he can make some plays that the other quarterbacks on the roster, quite frankly, can't right now. Those things have always been there, but that doesn't always mean that it's ready to translate immediately. You know, you go back to the spring, it was an adjustment period for Brown. He needed to lose some weight. Um, He was behind some others in terms of playbook knowledge and things like that. And so maybe the time wasn't right then. It's certainly right now, you know, and and maybe it could have been earlier. I'm with you on that. Um, but there has been a progression here for Jason Brown. That said, the physical tools that we've seen um, have been there. And so it could be that it's kind of clicking more for him now. And as a Gamecock fan, that should be an exciting thing, you know, not only for the remainder of this season, but for next year, because, yes, he does have another year. That's been a very common question. Yeah, very common question. He and EJ both have another year if they want it. And – um you know, I think, Chris, to, just to be able to cut down on um, the turnovers and erase the negative plays while keeping – no, you know, dude, one of, one of the best plays – one of the best plays he made on Saturday when I just shook my head kind of like, okay, you know, was when – and I don't even remember what – this happened a couple times, but he got flushed from the pocket, there was nobody open, and he just casually threw the ball away. That That's not a play – those who, who watched in the spring will tell you that is not a play he would have made in the spring because he came in with a mindset of I'm going to fit the ball in every window I see. And you don't want to ever completely like kind of take that out of your quarterback's um, like confidence level. You know, like you want him to feel like he can make the throws, but you have to know when to do it and, and when not to. But he, he casually tossed it over there, moved on to the next play. To me, that's a great sign of progression and maturity for Jason Brown. Uh, so, again, kudos to him. I, I don't know what we missed uh, for, from the game. We tried to hit as much as we possibly could. We're going to have to hit recruiting tomorrow. I wanted to talk about the commitment of Demetrius Watson. I want to talk about some of the other developments. Um, Emory Floyd sounds like he's um, way more solid with South Carolina than he was prior to this weekend. That couldn't have come at a better time for him to be on campus. but. We'll make that a part. We're going to have a loaded show tomorrow as well. We'll talk about Beamer's Tuesday press conference. We're going to have Alyssa Lang joining us as our special guest tomorrow. And we'll talk, we'll have a special recruiting segment. I can promise you that tomorrow. So the tickets, by the way, um, I'm going to find out who I'm giving these to. Before I do that, Chris, you got to tell everybody about Dead Soxie. Let's tell everybody about Dead Soxie. So uh, go there after the show's over, after Wes gives away these tickets. DeadSoxy.com. That's D-E-A-D-S-O-X-Y.com. Check out their entire catalog of men's and women's socks. 
get 25% off your entire order with the promo code COCKY, C-O-C-K-Y, and that is deadsoxy.com. Appreciate their support. All right, y'all. I am going to give the tickets. Uh, I have a few people here in a row. I just randomly am going to pick a name. And you know what? Let's give them to Daniel Watts. I, I admittedly, I recognize that name as a common poster and chat member here on uh, on GC Live. So, Daniel, uh, these two tickets are yours. Uh, again, that concert is on the 19th of this month. If you can't go, let me know, and I'll give them, give them to somebody who can. Otherwise, I will try to find you on here, or it might be easier if you shoot me an email, Wes at GamecockCentral.com. Um, dude, great show, everybody. Uh, appreciate y'all being – the numbers were up again. Y'all, I, can, I can see when y'all are, like, dialed in as a fan base and when you're like, oh, is the season over yet? Yep. Y'all are back dialed in. Now, as we're going to talk about all week long, important for the Gamecocks to do what Nathan's talking about and beat Missouri because it is a great opportunity um, for, for Carolina to, to, to build on some momentum here. So plenty more to talk about this week. I really hate to even end the show right now because there's still a bunch of people on here. But we'll, we'll save it for tomorrow. We got more stuff to get back to on GamecockCentral.com. Uh, Daniel is still on here, so good deal. Daniel, again, shoot me an email. It's just Wes at GamecockCentral.com, and I, uh, I'll I'll then get your mailing address so that I can mail them to you, man, because they they're physical tickets, not mobile tickets. Um, all right, y'all. Appreciate the support. Appreciate um, you always supporting. And, uh, by the way, appreciate Promo Gourmet on our uh, Promo Gourmet chat line. You saw the graphic. We hadn't mentioned them today. But um, go on over, check out Promo Gourmet. That's PromoGourmetSC.com. And if you use the code GCOCK20, you'll get 20% off your first order from those guys. Uh, hit the like button. Hit the subscribe button. And we'll see you all on Tuesday. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad. To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai.